it is no secret that graduation time is one of those bittersweet seasons in life. Uh, there's rejoicing that they made it. We didn't kill them, right, before they got out of there. But then there's tears and end of chapter and last and those kinds of things. And so it is a unique time. But one of the things that I do enjoy about graduation season uh, is the general excitement that accompanies all the possibilities of the graduates in the future. Uh, students usually hit the summer months with some idea of what they might want to do. Some will go in the military, some trade school, some college, some into the workforce. Some will play sports at the next level. Some of them will make other choices. And so whatever the case is, he here's what we want to instill inside of every graduate. That, hey, in some small way, you have the ability to change the world. That there's all kinds of possibilities out in front of you. And uh, that's the message that uh, if you ever hear a valedictorian get up and speak, that's kind of... One of the similar themes, they would speak, hey, graduates, we're going out in the world. Let's do our part to make the world a better place and change the world. And so that's, you often hear that from valedictorians. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you or not, and I always hesitate to share it because it may come across as arrogant, but I was ranked number one in the second half of my graduating class. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I was ranked 61st out of 120. So do the math. I was the valedictorian of the bottom half, all right? True story. And surprisingly, there were no scholarships awarded for that distinction. I'm not bitter, though. But, but the reality is this, is that whether you're a graduate or not, whether you're grown up today or graduate is something in between, here's the reality. All of us, not just valedictorians, all of us, I hope, still live with that zeal, that passion, that desire to make a difference in the world and have big plans for our futures. And I'm all for big plans, and I'm all for changing the world, but I want to define that biblically. What does that look like this morning? Let me tell you some things it's not. It's not just chasing your dreams. We tell that to graduates all the time. It's not by just believing yourself. Uh, the Bible says don't trust in your own wisdom, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's certainly not just following our hearts. We've taught against that uh, for years and years. What we've been exploring in this series is this, is that love is literally on record as being the force that changed the world and all of human history. And so turn with this morning, your phones, your Bibles, your tablets, whatever you're using, to 1 John chapter 4 as we finish up the series called Love Is, that we've been in now for a few weeks. So far we preached about the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and what we learned is that love is not an emotion, all those emotions attached to it, that ultimately love is a decision. It's a decision to self-sacrifice on behalf of someone else. Else. And so we looked at in week one and week two, uh, we saw how Jesus displayed his love for the woman at the well, and that Jesus didn't get angry at sinners, Jesus loved them and ran towards them. And so in a culture that said a woman, this woman deserves shame and scorn, Jesus offered her love. And so we looked at that, and then last week we looked at what does uh, make biblical love so unique, what, what's so powerful and irresistible about the love of Christ. And what we learned last week is that uh, we... Love those who won't love us back, our enemies. The world says, hey, if you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, but I'm telling you, the mark of my love is that you would even love your enemies. And so that's what's unique about Christian love. But we also learn that we also not only love those who won't love us back, we also are called to love those who can't love us back in tangible ways. Those who are marginalized, the unborn, the poor, all those categories we looked at last week. And so we've looked at love from a variety of angles. And what we've been making the case is that Love literally changes the world. And so today, I want to seal the deal, I hope, and, and for graduates and grown-ups and everybody in between, that you'll make love the greatest pursuit 
of your life. Not a career, not an education, not a family, not whatever goals you have, that love would be the highest pursuit of all of our lives this morning. Before we look at 1 John chapter 4, uh, I want to share a phrase with you and I want you to hang on to this phrase, all right? God is glorified when his attributes are magnified. Let me repeat that. God is glorified when his attributes are magnified. And if you ever study, do a study on the attributes of God, then one of the attributes of God is that God is love. And so if you and I want to magnify the Lord's attributes and glorify him with our life, love is an important part of that equation, all right? So 1 John chapter 4, let's look this morning beginning in verse 17, or verse 7, I'm sorry. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is Perfectness. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God's abide in him. And then if I could skip down to verse 19... We love because he first loved us. And so we're going to wrap up this series on love and hopefully seal the deal that, that love is the most important choice that anybody's going to make in their life. And it literally has changed the world and will continue to do so. But, but I want to wrap it up in a little different format. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask three questions that I think are fair questions to ask. And then I want to answer them using the text this morning, all right? So the first question is simply this. What's the big deal about love? Everybody remember that great hymn of the faith from that great prophet Tina Turner? What's love got to do with it, right? What's the big deal about love? Why, why is it such a hell of a thing? Why does the scripture say that love is the greatest choice that anyone will ever make? Well, here in the text, what it teaches is simply this. It's proof that you're a Christian. What he's saying is, hey, if you want to know if you actually belong to God, if you've been born again, then love will be a defining characteristic of your life. Now, if you're like me, there are times where I wonder, like, am I even a Christian? You ever get around somebody who loves the Lord, they talk about their prayer life and talk about what the Lord's doing in their life, and all of a sudden you start to wonder, like, am I really saved? Am I, do I really belong to the Lord? I really you struggle with those thoughts. But, but in all honesty, there are so many places in my life where my theology doesn't line up with my life. There are times when I struggle to hold my tongue if I'm not getting my way. There are times that I'm too critical of other people. There are times when, when life is hard, instead of running to Jesus and seeking refuge in him, I run to the cookie jar. Now, thankfully, I've got unusually fast metabolism, so I can just get away with it, all right? But here's the reality. Sometimes we, we look at our behavior and all these externals and say, well, surely I'm saved. Look at all these things I'm doing on the outside. But the reality is what the Bible teaches is this. Our behavior doesn't save us. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. But the way we live our lives is an overflow of saving faith. 
And so most Christians struggle at some point doubting their salvation. Uh, many of you know this, I graduated two times from uh, Liberty University, so uh, undergraduate and my graduate degree are both from Liberty. And here was an interesting thing. When I got to Liberty, I remember the campus pastor was teaching in one of the chapels when we lived on campus there, and, and he said this, and this was at the time that we went there, you had to have a written testimony that you were a Christian. So everybody that went there had to have some kind of written testimony that I have, in fact, been saved. And the campus pastor said this, at the largest university in the world that you had to write and say, I'm a Christian, he said, the number one question I entertain from students is this, how can I know that I'm really saved? Wrestling through doubts, wrestling through the assurance of salvation, many of you have experienced that as well. And the reality is, if we're not careful, uh, we'll go all the external things. And listen, graduates, don't go out in the world with this question unsettled. And don't look back at your activity and say, well, surely I'm a Christian because I spent a lot of time going to church or I walked down an aisle at some point or I prayed some kind of prayer. All external things, when in this passage he's saying, hey, the defining characteristics of whether or not you actually belong to Jesus Christ is not anything external. What does he define as? He defines it as love. He does so in the negative and then the positive. Listen to verses 7 8 again. Look at those. It says, beloved. So he's talking to Christians. Okay? He says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So that's the positive. But then he presents the negative. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Pretty clear, right? Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're kind of exploring that, or you're here to watch someone for the ceremony, or whatever the case is, and, and maybe you think, hey, one of the reasons that I'm not a Christian is because I've met too many of them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I've just encountered so many Christians who talk about Jesus and how wonderful he is, and then I've had an encounter with them, and they're, they're far from loving, they're judgmental, they're critical, and they're just unloving people. Listen, if that's your hang-up, I've got some really good news. You know what the good news is? Verse 8 says, hey, don't let that hold you back. Because if that person's not loving, they, in fact, are not a Christian, is what verse 8's saying. You don't have to let that be a stumbling block or the thing that holds you back about what a Christian looks like. Because verse 8 says, if their life isn't defined by love, then they, in fact, do not belong to Jesus. And so he lays out this test. He says, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to truly be born again. And then in this, he says in Verse 8, he expresses where love comes from. He says, love is from God. And then he defines God this way. He says, God is love. And so what the case he's making is this. Is that if you and I have truly been born again, if we truly know God, and God is love, and love comes from God, and yet we're unloving, then there is a disconnect in regards to what we say we are and what the scripture actually proves we are. And so the big thing about love is this. It's one of the ways I know that I'm saved. And so if you're here and you've ever wrestled with doubts, what's the big deal about love? What he says, hey, it's the greatest proof that a person, in fact, belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, you can be a loving person and not be a Christian. I'm going to let you know a little secret. I've met some Christians who aren't loving. Have you ever met any of those? There are some Eeyores in the body of Christ. I don't know if you knew that or not. Right? So you can be a, or not be a Christian and still be loving, but according to this passage, you cannot be a Christian and not be loving. And so the first question is, what's the big deal about love? What he says is, it's the proof 
that you, in fact, belong to Jesus. Not your church attendance, not your Bible knowledge, not your activity, not whether you walked down an aisle or got in a baptistry or repeated a prayer. He says, this is the proof that you, in fact, belong to God, that you love each other. Not of obligation, they have the overflow of a life that's been changed by Christ. And so the second question about love this morning is this, is why should I love? I don't know if you know this or not, it, it costs a lot to love people. Did you know that? And if you're like, well, I don't think that's true, then here's what I know about you. You don't have any children, amen? I saw a study of this a while back, and it uh, said that the, course or the cost of raising a kid from birth to 18 was somewhere, uh, lifetime, somewhere between $500,000 and a $1 million, depending on the context you're in. When I read that, I thought, you're shooting low, right? You're feeding your kids beanie weenies, right? You don't, that's low. We've got four kids. I share that mostly as a prayer request. So, love costs us. It's self-sacrifice. So why should we endeavor to love like this, the way that we've been making the case? In this series, well, it's because that's how we model Jesus faithfully. One of the descriptors of Christians in the Bible is that of an ambassador. An ambassador is a public representative of someone else. That's what an ambassador is. And so the Bible calls us who belong to Jesus ambassadors for Christ. And the way that we represent him well is to model the, uh, his life's example and the motivation of his life. And let me just share this with you. In a world filled with division and hate and anger, can we just be honest? Love feels like weakness, doesn't it? In a world where everybody's just at everybody's throats and everybody's, you know, coming unglued and, and you know, just the comment sections are incredibly encouraging. Am I right on Facebook? In a world that, that that's the culture that we're living in, the moment we're living in, love feels like a weakness. It feels like the unfortunate choice of those who are willing or not willing to, to fight. It feels like you're going to be the nice guy who finishes last. And if it's so hard to find love and it costs so much then then why bother well here's the here's the answer that's how you represent christ well he says hey if your life isn't driven by love you don't belong to jesus but if you settle that issue and say no no i'm striving for that and i want to represent him well this is what it looks like verse 19 says we love so here's the motive we love because he first loved us we love him back and want to represent him well why because we've been so deeply loved and so he tells us how jesus models love to us look at verses 9 and 10 what's he saying he says in verse 9 in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son to the world so that we might live through him so he says here's the model of love verse 9 this is what it looks like it's what god did for us and then in verse 10 he says in this is love not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now the reality is this, everybody at some point in your life have been concerned about the genuineness of someone else's love, haven't we? I mean, listen, that's the whole, that's the way you date, am I right? Like you don't want to come on too strong and you want to kind of play it cool. You want to keep folks at a distance and to, you want to show interest, but at the same time, you don't want to be too desperate. And so we sometimes position ourselves to wonder, does someone really love us? Do they really love us? Well, here's the incredible thing about God's love for us. God puts his love on full display without reservation. That's what verses 9 and 10 are saying. 
The word manifest in verse 9, that's exactly what it means. He says, God, God is fully displaying his love in Jesus Christ without reservation, without hesitation, or without holding back. And I think that's some of the aspects of the gospel that we don't always appreciate. There's, there's no reserve in God's tank of love. God was holding nothing back from us. There was no second option. There wasn't a second son to sin. Well, I'm going to send this son because I love them, but I got this other son. No. God says, hey, I'm going to love, and, and it's going to cost me my very best. And God knew the outcome and sent him anyway. Now, you may be here again. You're, you're kind of checking out Christianity. You're skeptical. and Listen, I totally get that, and we're fine with that. But there is no debate that Jesus is the single most influential person in all of human history. Literally, his birth split time in half. There have been more works written about Jesus than any other human leader on the planet. So, so even if you don't agree with his claims of divinity, even if you don't think the Bible's true, even if you say, well, I, I can't buy into Christianity because I believe in evolution, or fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. What you cannot disagree with is that he's the single most influential person who's ever walked the planet. And so graduates and everyone else, if you want to change the world, then model the greatest leader who's ever lived and love people to the point that it costs you something. That's the love that changes the world. Pour your life out in service to other people. Don't waste your life trying to build a platform for yourself. Can I, I'm going to tell you a secret this morning, right? It's not my notes. It's totally free. Did you know that the life you see on social media is not people's real life? Did you know that? Right, like everybody's like, hey, we did this, and look at this sunset, look at this meal we put out there, and look at that, you know, those kind. Nobody's putting out there on the table the spread, look at this cereal we had for dinner. Right? Nobody's putting out there, hey, just want to give an update, got in a huge uh, squabble with one of my kids, they left, I don't know if they're coming back, and I'm praying they're not. Right? (laughs) It's the highlight reel. You know what social media is designed to do? To build a platform for yourself. Look at this wonderful life that I'm living. Or, in reality, look at this wonderful life that I'm carefully curating and marketing. Not the real life, but the one I'm putting out there. So graduates, hear me. Do not waste your life trying to build a platform for yourself. Instead, invest your life by leveraging it to use a platform to display the love of Jesus. And here's the newsflash. It's going to cost you something. And guess what? It's worth it. It's worth it. The greatest influential leader who's ever lived, regardless of who you think Jesus is and what you believe about, that's exactly what he did. He changed the world, not by building a life for himself, but by giving his life away. That's how you change the world. If you spend a life trying to build a career and build a life for yourself and those kind of things, listen, you've not invested your life You've wasted it. You know why? Because to invest means there's return on it. And the return for building your life on Jesus and serving and loving others well will come on the other side of eternity. But let me just write this down. No one will get there and say, what a ripoff. No one will get there and say, I feel so shortchanged. Everyone, me included, will get there and say, oh, if I knew then what I knew now when I see Jesus, I wish I would have given more of my life away to Jesus. No one will ever say, I wish I had built a better platform for myself. And so Jesus is the model of love. That he gave away his life on our behalf. But also, 
Uh, scripture says, give us an understanding of that love. How, how deep was it? Verse 10, it uses the word propitiation. Now, that's not a 50 cent theological word. That's a whole silver dollar. Amen? That's a big one. So what does that word mean? Here, here's what it means. Propitiation is the theological truth that Jesus, in giving up his own life, satisfied God's demand that sin be paid for. It appeased the wrath of God. That's what propitiation means. It's self-sacrifice on behalf of others. Listen to Romans chapter 3. Here's what it says, verses 23 and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Listen to this, verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. What's that divine forbearance? What does that mean? What God says, hey, I'm willing to withhold the wrath I have against sinful humanity, not because it's not justified, but because Jesus absorbed it on your behalf. And that's what we're called to model and represent him in the world. That, that's what it looks like to model Jesus well in the world around us. So let's get down to real life. Everybody in the room has people in your life who are really hard to love. Some of you have got a whole list. Some of you may have that list in your pocket this morning. <laughs> Carry it with you so you can pray accordingly. Right? And the reason they're hard to love is because their behavior doesn't merit being loved in return, if we're being honest. Listen, if they behave the way that they should, or more honestly, the way that you think they should, they'd be easier to love, right? Listen, I find myself really uh, loving people well who are just like me. I'm, I'm deeply convinced the world will be better if everyone's like me, right? But when they are not like me and then when their behavior is not what I think it should be, those people can be hard to love. A couple months ago I was preaching a funeral. I've had a run of funerals in the last few months. And afterwards the funeral director and I, who were classmates, were catching up. I think it was the third funeral I had officiated where he was the director, and so we got to catch up a little after the funeral in the office, and here, here's what he said. He was just very kind and very encouraging to me. He said, uh, Brad, he said, I appreciate that you always put an effort to highlight not only the spiritual truth at a funeral, but also the admirable things about that person when they die. Some pastors do one or the other. They talk a lot about the person and not about Jesus, and they talk about Jesus and never mention the person who's passed away. And so, hey, I said, I appreciate your kind words, and, and that's what we're trying to do. And, and I share with them, I said, the reason I do that is because I want to point people to hope in Jesus, but also, I don't care who that person was, what a scoundrel they were, every life deserves to be honored because every life has value because they're made in the image of God. And so I said, I want to work hard at honoring that person. He said, I agree. He said, here's something else. He said, not only that, he said, that, that's someone's son or daughter. And then he went on to tell me this story. He said, when I first got started in the funeral business, he said, I was often called, and I would have to go pick up the bodies of people who'd passed away. And he said, I got a call, and he said, hey, we need you to come pick up a body. And he said, where's it at? He said, it's at the penitentiary prison. And he said, I went to go pick up the body of a person who died while they were serving a life sentence. 
And I won't tell you what the offense was for, but I'll just tell you this. You don't serve life sentences over misdemeanors. He said they called his elderly mom and let her know. They said, hey, the, whenever there's a burial, it's called an indignant burial. He said, we, I don't want you to worry about how you're going to bury your son. He said, the state set aside funds to bury people, and so there's no cost to use. So I just want you to not add that on top of your grief, the stress of how am I going to pay for a funeral. He said, the state's going to pay for the funeral, but, but when the state does that, there's no option to have a traditional. It's, it's only cremation. It's the least expensive, so that's what the state will pay for him. And she said, I understand that. She said, I'm, I'm very grateful that, that they would do that, and I don't want to I wouldn't complain. She said, but she said, I do have one request. She said, can I see him before you cremate him? She said, you know, I'm, I'm older, and he's been in prison, and so I haven't seen him a whole lot these last several years. He said, we agreed, and he said, Brad, he said, I treated him just like I would treat any other person. He said, I want to make him as presentable as possible to see his mom one last time. And he said when she saw her deceased son, she thanked him and said with tears, she said, I know that my boy was no good, but he was mine. In other words, his behavior doesn't merit being loved well, but he belongs to me. Can I tell you, that's exactly the way that Jesus loves us. That when the Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, while Satan goes before the throne of God and accuses us and says, those people don't love you. You know what Jesus is doing in his intercession? He's saying, hey, I know they're no good, but they're mine. And so if you and I are going to love people and model love of Christ, guess what? You're going to love people well who do not deserve your love in return. They're hard to love. That's exactly how Christ loves us. Now, here's the reality. Can we all agree that to do that falls under the category of what, what I call easy to preach and hard to do? Right? Like, you hear that story, you're like, oh, I'm so moved, I'm going to do that. And then you have that encounter with the person, you're like, I'm going to forget all that. Right? So how do we do this? Where's the hope that we can actually do this? And there is hope that we really can love others in a way that may not change the whole world, but it will change the people in our world, even the people who are hard to love. So here's the third question I want to ask and answer. Third question is this, how do I grow in love? Here's the answer. Abide in Jesus. Now some of you are going to sit through these messages, or maybe this is the first one you've heard, and you're going you're to say, oh, I'm going I'm to try really hard to be more loving. And that might work for a little while, but eventually willpower fizzles out. Some of you are going to put a reminder on your phone to love others better. If you do that, hey, you're weird, all right? But eventually, when you encounter that person who's hard to love, you'll just turn that reminder off. And so how do, how do we do this? Well, look back at verse 11 through 16 with me quickly. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's seen God if we love one another. Here it is. God abides in us. 
and his love is perfecting us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us our spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Are you picking up a theme here? Six times in these verses, the word abide is used. And any time the, the Bible uses something over and over, it's not because the human author had a stuttering problem, all right? It's because God is trying to emphasize something. And interwoven in this passage on love is the word abide six times uh, in this passage. Now, the text says this, no one's seen God, verse 12. And we need supernatural help to love this way, and no one's seen God. Sort of disadvantage. But here's the good news. If we've been saved, God's spirit is living inside of us. That's verse 14. So what does that mean? That means I have supernatural power living inside of me in the person of the Holy Spirit to help me love people who are hard to love like Jesus did. But here's the big question. How do we tap into that potential? Like there's always a tension line between the potential and the actual. <laughs> this just came to mind. It's a gift. I feel like the Holy Spirit just gave me this. A while back, I used to work out a lot. A while back, I went to a trainer. I'm like, I want to get back in shape. And, <laughs> and I go there, and he takes your body fat and all this kind of stuff right down your diet. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, he said, you have the potential to have a good physique. And I thought he was going to go on, but he stopped. That's it. <laughs> Apparently, there's a gap between my potential and my actual. I think he's lying, amen? I know he's lying because Tasha said he was lying. I'm about to tear my shirt off right now. For the glory of God. And so how do we hear all that and look at this example of love and like, man, I, I want to do that. And the Spirit of God lives inside me to empower me to do that. But my life doesn't look like that. So how do we, how do we tap into that potential? Well, the word abide is used over and over and over. And, and abiding Christ is just, it, let me just make it as simple as I can, all right? It, it's spending time with Jesus. It's making the pursuit of intimacy with Jesus the primary passion of your life. We're not after obedience, we're after intimacy. Obedience is the overflow of intimacy. And here's what abiding in Christ is. Abiding in Christ is the difference between trying and training. Now I'm gonna give you another illustration to my own detriment. You're gonna be shocked at this. No matter how hard I tried, I could not go out and finish a marathon today. I try really hard. I'm not even sure I can do a second round of bowling right now, all right? <laughs> and the reason is not because I wasn't trying. The reason is because I have not been training. And so what does it look like to train to love people well? It's to spend time with Jesus. 
intimately. Why? Because then what's on his heart will be on our heart. And connected to Jesus, we've got the power to live a life that we could not do disconnected from Jesus. The word abide, over and over we see this uh, in the scriptures. And we can do this, but not, not disconnected from a life pursuing intimacy with Jesus. Here's how I know that. Galatians chapter 5 describes the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Now, why is it important that's singular? Because when I'm living in intimacy with Jesus, when I'm walking in the Spirit, then the, all these things, fruit, singular, are going to be present in my life. It's not, well, you know, cafeteria style, well, I'll take that and I'll take that and I'll leave that, no thank you. No. He says the fruit, singular, these things will characterize your life. These things will be the overflow of a person who spends time with Jesus regularly. And so, listen to the character qualities of a person. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is, here's the first thing in the list, is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think that love is the first one, not accidentally. And so listen, graduates and grown-ups, if you want to change the world, in a world filled with anger and division and hate and everything in between, listen, love people who are hard to love. Love people at a, at a level that causes you, that costs you something. And listen, our, our world desperately needs people like this in this moment. Would you agree with that? And so if you want to love people that well, if you want to be that type of person who literally can change the world around you on the count of three with Pentecostal power, would you just say amen? One, two, three. Amen. So how do we do that? John 15, 5 says this. L listen to this. John 15, 5 says this. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, here it is, he it is that bears much fruit. What fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. What's he say the rest of it? For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying if you don't build your life around intimacy with Jesus... You have no hope of the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can try as hard as you want. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. But in Jesus, spending time with him, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. And what do we know about love? It will literally change the world. That's the promise. It's a guarantee in this passage that if you abide in Jesus, you'll bear much fruit. What is fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. And so if you really want to grow in love, spend time with Jesus as the primary pursuit of your life, graduates and grown-ups. Here's the formula to change the world. More Jesus equals more love. More Jesus equals more love. Say that with me. More Jesus equals more love. And love changes the world. Sometimes we tell graduates, God's got big plan for your life. Right? You ever see that? And he absolutely does. 
Now, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I do work here for a nonprofit, all right? So here it is. Here's the big plans for your life, graduates and grown-ups. It's to spend as much time with Jesus as you can so that when you get to the next stage in life, you can use those skills and opportunities to love people as much as you can because love changes the world. And we can love that way for one simple reason. Because he first loved us. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I want to ask you two questions. Number one, have you experienced the love of Jesus Christ in salvation? Has there been a time and a place or a season in your life where you realize you are a sinner in need of forgiveness? And you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for your sins, was buried and rose the third day. And you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then here's the good news of the gospel. You can be saved today right in your seat. You can pray and receive Jesus Christ right now. You can confess your sins. You can express a desire to repent or turn from them and turn towards Jesus Christ and receive him today for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you do that today? He loves you deeply. He absorbed God's wrath on your behalf. He loves you deeply. Jesus knows you completely and yet loves you fully. For those of you who know Jesus, right now, would you just pray and ask the Lord to help you? God, help me to change the world around me by loving people well. And I know it's going to cost me. And I know there are people in my life that are hard to love. But that's exactly who I was when Jesus found me. I was no good. But I'm his. Maybe some of you right now have got a person in your life that you're struggling to love well. Grace and truth filled love. Would you just pray right now and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm dependent on you. I've tried to love this person well, and I cannot do it left of my own willpower. And so, Lord, help me to love this person well and help me to realize that the only way, the only hope I have of loving people well is to pursue intimacy with Jesus. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And so, Lord, produce a supernatural love in my life. For that person. God, I'm so grateful today that Jesus Christ can look at our lives and He too can say, I know they were no good, but they're mine. And the only reason we can love people this way is because Jesus first loved us. 
And so God help graduates and grown-ups and everybody in between really believe that love can change the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.